track down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherhill, New Jersey. It is now time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything is going well for you here on this Monday, the 13th day of December. Just 12 days out from the big day. As I tell you guys every year, please don't go over the top nuts, over the top crazy. It's about making sure you do something nice for your loved ones, but not, you know, the value of it doesn't matter. It's showing that you care and showing that uh, you want them to be as happy as you do. Now, right now, certain NFL fans are not exactly thrilled with their teams as far as, you know, the hell they can sometimes put them through on the way to, you know, the postseason on the way to everyone's ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl. And we're getting to the nitty-gritty part of this schedule. There's four weeks left. You know, you're, I know if you look at the standings today, especially when you look at both conferences' wildcard standings, you have... About five or six teams all clumped together. I mean, in the NFC side of things, you have one, two, three, four, five, six. You have currently five teams that are uh, six and seven, one that's seven and six, another that's eight and four. You have, to call it, you have about uh, seven or eight teams that are within two and a half games of each other. And thankfully, because most of them play each other, we uh, and they can't all play the Jets, Lions, Giants, and Jaguars, we expect that to divide up a little bit as this month goes along. As well as in the AFC, you currently have a clumping uh, for the wild card spots with five teams at seven and six, uh, a six and six. Uh, six and one team in the Steelers and two teams at six and seven. So pretty much everyone is still in it. But you want to feel good about your team, not just as far as their ability to get there, but you know how they get there, how they're doing it, whether they're doing it, you know, with uh, smoking glass mirrors. Or they're going out there and kicking ass every week. And there's three teams in particular that I took out of you know all of the games I watched yesterday. 
And I'm thinking, you know what? Those fan bases today cannot feel good about what they're seeing from their football teams right now. And one of those three fan bases, their team actually won yesterday. And that, of course, is uh, my old enemy, the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboy fans, you know, amongst the list of things that I'm not thankful for on a year-in, year-out basis when it comes to some of the nonsense you deal with from those people at given times. But yesterday, they go down uh, to our nation's capital for their first of two meetings over the final five weeks of the season with the football team. And I don't know what came over Mike McCarthy last week. You know, it's one thing to have confidence in your football team. But to go out there and speaking to the media pretty much guarantee a victory was putting his ass on the jackpot, as uh, uh, was once famously said. Because, you know, you're going, it's not like you're facing one of those t- aforementioned teams uh, that had already been eliminated from playoff contention and is already looking at their draft standings for next year. You're going up against a team in Washington that while they lost their best defensive player in Chase Young uh, for the season, they've won four in a row, and they're two games behind you for the division with five left to play and two games uh, to go against you in the regular season. You're putting bulletin board material out there for a team that has played great defense in the last month. So, no, I, it's one thing saying that to your team, but to say that out in public is a little, little too over the top. I mean, are you see, hearing Belichick do that? Are you hearing uh, Mike Tomlin uh, do stuff like that? Sean Payton, you know, these guys that have won something and it wasn't just, oh, they were carried there by their uh, all-world quarterback like you were over a decade ago. And to tell you the truth, early on it looked like, oh, wow, McCarthy is the smartest guy in the world. McCarthy knew what he was talking about because the Cowboys came out um, on fire early. No, not, not a lot offensively, but they got some great help thanks to the mistakes of the Washington football team. Uh, Taylor Heineke throwing the uh, interception to Randy Gregory in the first quarter. Then on the next drive, you get the fumble recovery by Armstrong after uh, um, uh, Parsons uh, gets another sack on route to what's going to be not just defensive rookie of the year, but probably defensive player of the, of the year. You look up. Now, I'm looking at these scores as I'm watching the NFL Red Zone uh, yesterday, and I'm like, damn, Dallas, you know, backing up their coach big time here. And then the second half comes, and you have to sit on your hands, bite your, uh, the, your fingernails, and pray that uh, – you don't uh, look foolish because, let's face it, Prescott didn't look uh, great yesterday. Barely uh, completed the 50% of his passes. You, know, they, you didn't get 
a big performance as Zeke Elliott. It was the defense that carried the day for the Cowboys yesterday with the early turnovers, with the pressure uh, by Micah Parsons, who's going to break, be, be the one that this year breaks uh, TJ Watt's heart on being the runner-up for the uh, defensive player of the year again. You know, it also helped the fact that, you know, Terrell Heineke got knocked out of this game in the third quarter. You have to go to Kyle Allen, and at that point, you know, he is what he is. Kyle Allen's a guy that you expect to just stand there and hold the clipboard. You don't think he's going to drive down the field on you. And while he had a a couple of drives that, you know, made things scary, made you start sweating things out for uh, Dallas, especially when you got the Williams touchdown and uh, a couple minutes later, uh, Cole Holcomb uh, picks off uh, Dak to make it a 27-20 game. You're thinking, oh, they got four and a half minutes to go, a couple timeouts here. There's a chance here, but, you know, Dallas was able to hold on uh, thanks to their defense, but like I said, it's not a game you could feel great about if you're a Cowboy fan. Yeah, it's an uh, uh, you'll take the win. You never apologize for winning, but there's concerns. I mean, you know, Dak ha- has not looked great. Y- you don't know what you're getting out of Zeke on a week-in, week-out basis. I mean, that's why there's been so many cries by Cowboy fans for Tony Pollard to get more run. And, you know, the, this defense is, is playing great. But with how topsy-turvy a season it's been with injuries and everybody dealing with uh, COVID issues at given times, you never know when it could strike what has been the best part of Dallas's team recently. Now, the two teams that fe- must feel like shit uh, based on their losses uh, yesterday are the Ravens and the Bills. The Ravens because let's face it, the Ravens haven't played uh, great as, as of late. Uh, yesterday actually was the first time in a, over a month that they scored over 20 points. And, you know, they, they're uh, trailing early, you know, down 24-6 to six at halftime uh, to the Browns coming off their bye week. You know, you're, you're looking at this, all right, we're not moving the football. Uh, we lose Lamar to an ankle injury that you're pr- even as much as he's struggled recently, you're praying is nothing serious when the MRIs come out today because if he's toast, then you're dead. We got to rely on Tyler Hundley, uh, who's uh, already muffed uh, uh, the ball once on a sack uh, by Miles Garrett. I mean, it was it was just you know. Now, not a good feel if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan. You know, a month ago, you're looking at this and you're saying as a Ravens fan, all right, we got a chance to seize control of this division. Pittsburgh's not going anywhere. Uh, the Bengals had kind of fallen back to the pack. Uh, Baker Mayfield dealing with this shoulder thing. But now, you know, you're sitting here 8-5. and five. Right now, you would be the four seed in the, the AFC uh, playoffs, you would have to play in the first round uh, the, the Los Angeles Chargers. Are you going to tell me that you feel confident? Even though, yeah, you beat them earlier this season. But anybody watching Justin Herbert right now? Justin Herbert's going to be 
top three or four in the MVP race. And you can't feel good about that matchup, especially with the way Lamar's played. The fact that you're missing four corners on defense and now Lamar's possibly dealing with an, an ankle injury and speed is part of Lamar's game. And you almost you almost got the gift from the gods yesterday. The fact that Huntley gives you one great drive in the fourth quarter. Then for the first time in almost 20 years, you recover an onside kick um, against uh, Cleveland. And you're thinking, oh, this is going to be another one of those typical Cleveland losses. But their defense pinned their ears back and stopped you, uh, put, put you uh, in a three and out. Now you're sitting here eight and five, and what is going to work in your favor is uh, the fact that you would still have one more game against Pittsburgh, and who knows what Pittsburgh's even going to really be playing for uh, the, in that final week. And that three of your final four games are at home, but it's going up against at least three teams that are going to be competing for playoff spots in the Packers. You go to Cincinnati in two weeks, and then you got the Rams uh, coming into your building who, who knows what their motivation is going to be at that time. Are they still going to be alive for the division or is uh, Sean McVay just going to tell the guys, all right, play half play into the third quarter, but we're going to prepare for our first round uh, matchup in the postseason. So, was not a good day for, for Baltimore in that loss uh, all the way around. Also wasn't a good day for you know Buffalo Bills fans who, you know, right now, if you're a Bills fan, you know, you know I, I'm sure my old buddy Brian Fishman is uh, feeling this right now. You know, you're annoyed. You're ticked off. Hell, I'm annoyed and ticked off for them. And I despise the Buffalo Bills, all right? Not as much as the Patriots, but I despise them. And now I, my despisal for them might be getting even closer due to the fact that it looked in the bag about a month ago. You're 4-1, you're off to uh, a great start, and now the last two months, you know, their weaknesses have uh, come to surface. You know, you lose your best corner in, in Travion White. Uh, people realize that... They can run the football up and down the field on you, and you can't run the football. And then yesterday, in what is a game that I don't want to call any game against Tom Brady a must win, but a game that you got to come out strong and you got to come out uh, on fire, especially after last week where you know the Patriots run all over you on Monday Night Football. Put up over 200 rushing yards. You have uh, your secondary getting in fights with the media after the game. Uh, your head coach, Sean McDermott, uh, coming coming out with the disrespect card toward uh, the great Bill Belichick. And uh, what you call it? Before you, know, you can even get rested, you're down 24 to 3. You know, Brady and company are picking you apart. Hell, you'll allow Leonard Fournette to break out a 47-yard uh, uh, rushing touchdown earlier, early in this game. Now, they would come back and make a game of uh, this. And I do think that they got uh, 
did not get the benefit of a couple of calls. Did think there were a couple times in the, the fourth quarter uh, where Stefan Diggs uh, should have gotten the favorable call of pass interference against him. Did, did not look like the corner was looking back on some of these plays, especially uh, on that last drive going into the end zone. But once, you know, once that went to overtime, that was a game you had to win. Because you had calmed Brady and the Bucks down. You had held them to three points in that second half. After uh, they uh, mauled you in the first half. And you got nothing done in, in uh, that overtime. It was a very pedestrian drive. And then uh, uh, you allow uh, Brady uh, to uh, break loose on the last guy you're expecting on the field. Uh, to Brashad Perriman for the uh, walk-off touchdown. And, you know, here's what annoys me most about the Bills. Because not just them allowing the Patriots back in the mix of things when it comes to the division title. But I said this earlier in the year when it came to Buffalo. It's easy to be the uh, hunter. It's a lot more difficult to be the hunted. Last year, they caught, you know, the last two years, they've caught a lot of people by surprise. Two years ago, they were a cute 10 and 6 uh, kind of team. Then last year, the, the with, you know, COVID, with the Patriots losing Tom for the first time, uh, the Dolphins still rebuilding, and the fact that the Jets suck, they were able to dominate the the AFC East. And now, with expectations on them, with them being one of the favorites in the AFC going into uh, the season to represent the conference in the Super Bowl, the last two months, they've been average at best. Hell, they've been less than average. Two games under 500 the last two months. It was all right there in front of them. And they've let that slip through their fingers. Now, now the conversation is not whether they can win the division. Because I think that is uh, uh, flying by the wayside. Even though they got one more meeting with uh, the Patriots. They're two back with four games to go. And the Patriots have already beat them once. Now the question is, can they hold off and um, still make the playoffs? Because the Browns got new life yesterday. The Bengals, you never know what to expect from them. And somehow, some way, the Denver Broncos are still alive in uh, this crazy season. So, you know, if you're a Cowboy fan, you're happy with the win, but you're, eh, you're saying McCarthy, calm down with the guarantees. And if you're a Ravens or Bills fan today, you really feel like shit. All right, a lot left to talk about here for the next about 35, 40 minutes here. Uh, get to some more thoughts on week of. Uh, 14 in the NFL, uh, mixing uh, uh, some uh, thoughts on the Jets and Giants as well as some thoughts on college sports. Uh, and hey, do the Mets have uh, their next manager on their hands? So a lot to get to. Please sit back, relax, help put your feet up if you feel like it and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back.
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, last Thursday, we witnessed uh, a Thursday night game between two teams that are still in the mix for the playoffs, but I don't know, no, quite frankly, I don't know how either one of their fan bases could have any belief in them, could have any faith in them, especially after what we saw uh, them put on display last Thursday night between the Vikings and the Steelers where, you know, if, if you're a Vikings fan, you, there's probably a part of you that's hoping that the Vikings miss the postseason and that maybe lead to Mike Zimmer losing his job because while Mike Zimmer has been a quality head coach in his time in Minnesota, I think you've gone about as far as you possibly can with him. And last Thursday night proved it because it was sheer boneheadness what he did in the second half of that game. Here you have Davin Cook, who I was kind of surprised he played considering uh, the shoulder injury that he had uh, displayed the week prior. But he comes out, he's on fire. I mean, is running through the Steelers like they're not even there. Now, it, it does help that uh, T.J. Watt left the game uh, in the second quarter with an injury. But Dalvin Cook is running right through Pittsburgh, putting up a buck 50 in the first half on just, what, 13, 14 carries. And you decide to get away from that in the second half. You decide, all right, you know what, Kirk? You're going to chuck the ball around the yard. We're going to make this game about you. It's going to be Cousins time. And it's like, come on, man. Well, like, what the hell are you doing? You, you're, you're dominating the ground game. And then you decide to turn this in, into an aerial attack when you know you're without uh, uh, one of your two best receivers in Thielen. You, you see that your defense is holding uh, the Steelers at bay. And you know, when you start throwing the ball around, Cousins uh, uh, was inaccurate, as he typically is with these primetime games, leading to short drives, causing your defense to come back out there. And it gave uh, Pittsburgh new life. They started, uh, they got a, a little bit of a spark there. And you know, all of a sudden, we're 
know, Ben Roethlisberger couldn't hit the broad side of a barn in the first half. He started looking like the Ben Roethlisberger of 10 years ago and put up the most backdoor 300 passing yard game that you'll ever see. I mean, this game was over. It was 29 to nothing with about two and a half minutes to go in uh, the third quarter. I'm looking around like, all right, what else is on TV tonight? And all of a sudden, I got to be like, wait a minute. It's a two-touchdown game. I got to get get back to this. And Minnesota is uh, trying to desperately blow this. And especially, you know, they get it to 36-20 to 20, um, after the Justin Jefferson uh, touchdown. And you're thinking, all right, we've got control of this. Ben drives down the field one more time. And... Uh, uh, gets them within uh, one score. Now, I thought Pittsburgh was going for two-point conversions too early because once you miss one, then you got to go for them for uh, the rest of the game. To me, you don't go for the two-point conversion unless you're down by 16 heading into the, the two final touchdowns you need or you're down by eight. Uh, if it's 23, just, you know, Go for the uh, one score and then uh, go for it when you have to. Not because uh, you want to be cute and uh, try to get the the lead with three consecutive two-point conversions because that typically does not work out well. But you know, what came to light for the Steelers and, and was it the number one reason that cost them in the end? Because when you're down 29 nothing and you're not able to complete the comeback, that you really have nothing to cry about. But what turned out to be a big factor in this is the immaturity of Chase Claypool. I mean, what the hell are you doing? You, you got less than a minute to go. You got no timeouts. And you're deciding to do your little taunt, your little oh, first down celebration while you're trying to drive down the field. See, this is why you know Larry Fitzgerald was one of my favorite players during his playing career, because you never saw crap like this. You never saw nonsense like this from him. He got a first down late in the game. Hell, he got a first down in the first quarter, and he's running to the referee uh, so that they can spot the football. He's making about the team instead of himself. But this is what has happened with these Pittsburgh uh, Steelers wide receivers as of late. This immaturity, this all-about-me nonsense. That's why Antonio Brown wore out his welcome there very quickly. That's why Chase Claypool could eventually wear out his welcome there. That's why, hell, no, they only gave Juju Smith-Schuster a one-year contract. Because these guys, you know, this is an environment that, for some reason, Mike Tomlin decides to foster. That Mike Tomlin feels is okay no it's it's not a big deal and in the end it turns out to be costly for you i mean there's you know there's no true lack of there's no true leadership there i mean ben doesn't want to deal with it he's thinking more about his retirement in a month and you know mike tomlin you know talks big at these press conferences and i love the guy i I think he's an amazing coach and would love uh to uh, play from if I were an NFL player, but he lets these wide receivers get away with this nonsense all the time. 
and sometimes it proves very costly for them. Speaking of nonsense, what the hell was that that the Raiders did yesterday? Now, the Raiders, who, as we all know, since the Henry Ruggs uh, situation have been a mess, have fallen apart. All of the emotion of this year has finally caught up to them. But, you know, Yannick Ngakwe decides to throw a pregame team meeting on uh, the 50-yard line on the Chiefs logo, and they're all jumping up and down uh, on this... Uh, Go, uh, going all crazy. Before you can even blink, they're down 35 nothing. Hell, the first play of the game, Josh Jacobs uh, gets the ball ripped away from him. Later in the in the uh, first half, you know Derek Carr obviously forgets that Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, is on the field, throws the ball right to him. Uh, I mean, they're turning the football over left and right. Here they are. They're worried about their pregame. Uh, ritual, their dance, celebrating on the Chiefs logo. They didn't even cross the 50-yard line in in this game until there were about 35 seconds left in the first half when they're down 35 nothing. I mean, it was it was an outright embarrassment. And you know, I know the standings say they're kind of still alive, but look, let's let's face it, the Raiders they're dead man walking. They're done. It's over. Let's end the nonsense. Let's stop at. Um, with this charade that they're actually a competitive, competent team and just call it for what it is. I mean, twice this year already, they have gotten destroyed by the Kansas City Chiefs. In their two meetings, they've been outscored 89-23. to And yeah, while Mahomes played great yesterday, this was about the Chiefs' defense more so than anything else. That is what has gotten them back in the mix. That is what has gotten them back to the point where we're looking at them as possibly the favorites in the AFC to reach the Super Bowl. The The fact that, you know, at the trade deadline, they trade for Melvin Ingram. And while, you know, Melvin Ingram hasn't been as great recently as uh, we once thought he was, you know, he's was only signed on a one-year contract this year. What that move did was gave them a true edge rusher and allowed them to fix their mistake and take Chris Jones from the edge and put him back at his true position at defensive tackle, Get uh, having that pass rush up the middle. And their defense has been so much better since that. It's allowed the secondary to take a deep breath and realize that, hey, we actually do have pressure on the quarterback. It's not all up to us um, to uh, stop them. And that's why, you know, you look at this six-game winning streak that they've been on. They've held teams to 17 points or less. Hell, they've they've only allowed nine points in their last uh, three games. And now they sit here at nine and four in the lead for the AFC West. An AFC West that could be decided this coming Thursday. I mean, we got... Potentially the game of the year on our hands here, people, as the Chiefs go out to L.A. to play uh, the Chargers. You know, it's a big spot for the Chargers. You know, not you know, a situation that they're used to being in the bright lights um, 
see if they can handle this moment. I mean, they've beaten the Chiefs once already at Arrowhead, and Chiefs are going to be motivated to not get season swept and keep their hopes for the division alive because they got swept here. Remember, that gives the Chargers the tiebreaker and would give the Chargers the driver's seat to a home playoff game in the first round. Now, we've seen how the Chargers handle prosperity before, and it's not great. But, you know, you have Justin Herbert, who's seemingly breaking records every week now. I mean, just look at yesterday against the New York Giants. The first player to have 30 touchdowns in his first two seasons. Most completions by a player in his first two seasons. Second fastest to reach 8,000 career yards. And what he's doing is mind-blowing. It's staggering uh, right now. And no, doesn't look to be uh, slowing down at all. And he's doing it. No, he's not just doing it against bad teams. He's doing it against, you know, big-time competition. Now, the one team that he has not been able to handle was the New England Patriots. And we'll see if he gets another chance at them, another crack at them somewhere down the road. Uh, the Tennessee Titans easily blew by the Jaguars. The Jaguars, now, it's, it's sad what the Jaguars are. You know, that. Trevor Lawrence's rookie year is being wasted around a lot of uh, dysfunction there. The fact that now, I mean, who hasn't Urban Meyer gotten in an argument or a fight with in that organization? I think it's maybe Trevor Lawrence and owner Shad Khan. Other than that, everybody there seems to hate his guts. Now he's getting in an argument with uh, Marvin Jones that he had, essentially had to beg Jones to come back to practice uh, last week. And you got to think, as poised as Lawrence looked in college, even for be- even being a rookie in the NFL, some of this has got to be affecting him somewhat. I mean, he threw four interceptions in the second half yesterday. He's got uh, no help on offense. He's trying to do it all by himself and – now going up against a a Titans team that has a grander uh, views ahead of them, and those views may be getting even larger. The fact that uh, you now you look at coming up uh, down the road is uh, de- the impending return of uh, Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry. Uh, could be back within uh, the next month. They're saying he could be back from his uh, from his injury before the playoffs. And listen, if if I'm a Titans fan, I'm hoping he's back for that Week 17 game. So you give him a quarter or two to play, to shake off any rust, get hit at least once. So I mean, we know that he's he's a ferocious competitor. We know he's a beast of a man. But I don't want him coming back cold during a playoff game. I'd rather Henry get, you know, even if it's just 10 carries in week 17. To to me, something is better than nothing. And, you know, then you, you pair him up with uh, that wide receiving core. Hopefully that calms down the turnovers that uh, Tannehill's had over the last month and 
you know, with, with the way the Titans have played defense, they can be a very dangerous team in the postseason. I said earlier, I, I don't know what to think of the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati, you know, they got off to a quick start, but, you know, has recently started to slip up. And, you know, yesterday they go into action knowing that, oh, we can uh, take control of the division. We can uh, take the the lead in the division here uh, with uh, a win uh, after a uh, Knowing already knowing the results of the Ravens game, and that they uh, fall victim at home to a suddenly hot 49ers team, where Garoppolo right now there's not even any talk of uh, when Trey Lance is going to play. Garoppolo's uh, been fine. Uh, now the the thing about J- Jimmy G is, um, and I hate calling him that that nickname. I think it's dumb. Here here I am criticizing someone's nickname. Uh, but the thing about Jimmy G is that, you know, when he's, I know he's not Rodgers, he's not Mahomes, uh, he's not what Herbert has uh, become. He'll never be uh, like the guy we thought he was going to replace in New England, Tom Brady. But when he's on the field, he wins games. They, you know, the 49ers have won you know, 70% of the games uh, when he's been out there. They, they have a, a, like something like a, a 290 winning percentage without this guy. He just, he, he, he's, there's something about him. He has a knack for winning football games. And now a lot of it helps when you have the best tight end in the sport right now in George Kettle, who, I mean, Cincinnati, could you maybe decide to throw a double coverage at him? I, every, every play in overtime was to George Kettle. Now, you know, we know Debo Samuel's back out there, but he's more of a a dual threat gadget player where you never know whether they're going to hand it off to him in the backfield or throw it to him. With George Kittle, you know he's going down the field most times up the middle. And, you know, you figure maybe get, you know, one of your safeties to come up and give the corner a little bit of help instead of going one-on-one with him all day long. I mean, for God's sakes, he picked them apart. Now, they did get help the fact that the Bengals muffed two punt returns and uh, put them in field, good field position to score 10 points off of that. But, the no, the, it was it was just, it's head-scratching. You're, you're, you're wondering... Now, what the Bengals coaching staff is thinking, you're seeing what, Kittle, what Kittle's doing and you're not adjusting at all. The, this ga- these games, you know, they're not that complicated, people. Adjust on the fly. Now, it's not rocket science. Use your eyes. Use your brain. But now, you know, the 49ers sit here and they're wondering, hey, you know, why not us? Why can't uh, we be... You know, one of those, there's always that team that's kind of a pain in the ass uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, sneaking in the playoffs. And currently they sit there at the sixth seed in the NFC. They're pending the outcome of Rams Cardinals tonight. They're a game and a half back uh, for the five seed. So they're thinking to themselves, hey, we got the, the Falcons, the Woeful Falcons next week. 
Why not us? And then in the Sunday night game, you know, another reminder why Aaron Rodgers, it's it's his world and most of the rest of us, unless your name is Tom Brady, uh, Patrick Mahomes, or Justin Herbert, are just living in it. Because, I mean, he put on a clinic, he put on a, a, a masterpiece against uh, that Bears defense who, yeah, I know they were missing uh, some key pieces, you know, with uh, Khalil Mack out for the season, uh, with without Akeem Hicks, but it's still Bears-Packers. It's, a, it's the longest rivalry in the history of this sport, and teams tend to get up for that. I mean, you look at the Bears got off to a hot start. They were up 10 nothing early on. You, you got Justin Fields uh, back out there for the first time in a couple of weeks and looked like he hadn't uh, um, missed much of a beat, uh, look uh, fresh of, as a daisy, and uh, was even uh, running the football uh, on uh, some uh, plays that he had to improvise on. You know, they're getting... Uh, Good work out of this kid, uh, Grant, who no one's ever even heard of, uh, getting that 40-plus-yard touchdown uh, run. And then uh, the punt return, after he muffs the ball at the five-yard line, he takes it house after that. But in the second half, they couldn't get anything uh, going. I I think you know, the, the downfall for Fields a, a little bit started when – he threw the pick six to Rasul Douglas. But then uh, when he fumbled on the sack to uh, Preston Smith early in the third quarter, that's when reality started to sink in for the Bears. That sinking feeling uh, that they've dealt with for the better part of three decades now against uh, the Packers. And the fact that, you know, you know Rodgers and Adams essentially had their way against this defense all night. I mean, it was a cute story early on, them uh, getting off to a quick lead in this game. But in the end, you knew the Alpha Dogs were going to reign supreme. And now the Packers sit here. They are the, they've got to be the biggest, you know, Los Angeles Rams fans in the world tonight because they have the tiebreaker on uh, the Cardinals after beating them on Thursday night about a month and a half ago. They have already gone to Arizona and, and uh, beaten the, the Cardinals. They'd love for the Cardinals to come into their building and force Kyler to have to deal with that weather for the first time or get another shot at the Buccaneers in their home place. Now, the Packers, now the, their main goal for this final month is making sure that the NFC postseason runs through uh, Green Bay, uh, Wisconsin, and that teams that are not used to that frigid weather have to experience it for the very first time. All right, got to come back with a couple of uh, thoughts on on college sports as well as the Mets manager thought um, search. Continue keeping it sports with M three. I'll be back.
Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. One of us, a couple of people in the world of college football, a congratulations. First off, congratulations to Alabama Crimson Tide quarterback Bryce Young. As if there were any other choice, Bryce Young won the Heisman Trophy on Saturday night, very deservingly so. I mean, it was just an all-around dominant, stellar season uh, for Bryce. He he led Alabama um, to a 12-1 mark um, and winning the SEC title against Georgia about 10 days ago. Threw for over 4,300 yards, 68% completion percentage, 43 touchdowns, four interceptions. You know, th- this award, unfortunately, has become a quarterbacks and running back award. It's as great as Hutchins was at, at Michigan. It's become almost impossible for a defensive player to win this. You would have to have your team go undefeated and you have some kind of mind-blowing number of sacks, like 30 or say like 15 to 20 interceptions to even have a shot to win this as a defensive player. So with that all being said, congratulations to Bryce Young. Now, one of his runner-ups is going to be getting some shade when it comes to his contemporaries and future college football players. And that would be Pittsburgh's uh, Kenny Pickett, who, you know, great job, uh, Kenny. You ruined the fun for all of us because we all remember Pickett's fake slide in the ACC championship game when he, uh, on the very uh, first drive of the game, uh, broke uh, past the defensive line, was running up the field. And then around the 40-yard line, he stopped, looked like, or slowed down, should I say. He didn't exactly stop. Looked like he was going to begin his slide, and the defensive players kind of gave up at that point, knowing that they risk a targeting or a late hit, something that could get them ejected. And instead, he stayed on his feet and just went down the field for a long touchdown. Well, thanks to some whining and complaining by the opposing coaching staff 
as well as uh, the NCAA being the no fun police, they've declared that now illegal. They have set a new rule um, in a memo sent out by uh, 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 NCAA National Coordinator um, of Officials Steve Shaw that reads as the following. Anytime a ball carrier, quote, anytime a ball carrier begins, simulates, or fakes a feet first slide, the ball should be declared dead um, by the on-field officials at that point. The intent of this rule is player safety, and the objective is to give a ball carrier an option to end the play by sliding feet first to avoid contact, to allow the ball carrier to fake a slide would compromise the defense that is uh, being instructed to let up um, when the ball carrier slides feet first. And this um, it was confirmed in this memo that fake slide plays are not considered a reviewable play. So, no, we knew someone was going to ruin the fun at some point. Someone was going to complain about it. And it was Kenny Pickett's play that, you know, trended across uh, the country that uh, had uh, social media going wild that eventually put the end to what looked like such a cool play. Now, uh, the, the, the thing that is not cool is the fact that we as NBA fans are continuing to be deprived from seeing one of the great young talents in this sport, Zion Williamson, who has now been shut down after another setback from off-season surgery to repair a, a fracture in his right foot. And listen, I don't know what to believe with these reports. I know there's pictures out there that don't look so flattering with him walking back to the locker room in the jumpsuit. There's been reporters that out there saying he's overweight, that he's as big as 330 pounds. And I have been someone that has been critical or maybe not critical, but concerned about his size coming out of college because, I mean, it's one thing to be that big or have that kind of body mass when you're someone as big as Shaq. Um, you know, you're 7'3", and you can carry around 300 pounds. But 6'8", carrying around 300 pounds as a basketball player, not the brightest thing in the world. You know, if you're an offensive lineman in the NFL, fine. But when you got to be running up and down the court um, – uh, on that um, hard top each uh, and every single night, it's going to wear and tear on you. And so far, it's tearing on, on Zion. I mean, we saw him have the scary ankle injury in college. Then he comes into the league, and before he even uh, can make his NBA debut, he misses time uh due to a torn meniscus, didn't make his debut until mid-January of the 2019-2020 season, ended up only playing 24 games that year because of that injury and because of the pandemic. Last year, he misses a, a, 11 of a, a, a possible 72 games, even though he played great, looked like an all-star. But now he's dealing with this foot thing, and you realize Zion has played, has been eligible to play 172 games so far in his NBA career. He's only played in 85 of them. 
He's missed 87 games because of some kind of injury between, you know, bubble play, last year's uh, shortened season, and now so far uh, this year where a return date is nowhere in sight. I mean, if we see him before the All-Star break, I'll be stunned. But this has got to be something that's got to be figured out. I mean, as much as the Pelicans front office was jumping up and down, doing cartwheels, celebrating on draft night, this is the face of your franchise. You can't have the face of your franchise sitting on the bench if you want to get anywhere. So they've got to, I don't want to be a fat shamer, but they've got to get this guy's weight and conditioning under control. Otherwise, this is going to be something that haunts them for a long time. Now, Quickly on the Mets managerial uh, search, they are down to three candidates. Astros bench coach Joe Espada, Rays bench coach um, um, Matt uh, uh, Quattro, and veteran manager um, who hasn't managed in the big leagues in about three years, Buck Showalter. Buck Showalter is the apple of all the Mets fans' eyes. For whatever reasons, you know, there's the good qualities of Buck that he can control a locker room. He He's not going to put up with any nonsense. I, he, he's had some teams overachieve at time. That's what's led him to being a three-time manager of the year and been a guy that is a program builder. But let's face it, Buck can only get you so far. Your goal is to win a World Series. And so far, in three out of his four stops, Buck had teams that either went to or uh, won the World Series after he left there. I've seen people try to say that, oh, the Yankees would have went to the World Series in 1994 if there wasn't a strike. Well, it's easy to say, uh, you know, 27 years after the fact, but that's a question we'll never know the answer to. The fact of the matter is this. They blew a a 2-0 lead in the first round to Seattle in 95. He would get fired after that season because he didn't want to make changes to his coaching staff. And I've always believed that that dynasty would not have happened if Joe Torre didn't come here. Because Joe Torre brought Willie Randolph with him. Willie Randolph was the one that when Derek Jeter struggled in spring training of 96... And there was talks of, oh, do we trade either Pettit or Moe for a veteran shortstop? He stood up, banged on the table and said, no, we said we were giving this kid a shot. Now we have to stick with our guns. And look what happened. You had one of the great players in the history of the franchise. Hell, if Buck Showalter had stayed, maybe Mariano Rivera would never have been uh, put in the bullpen. Maybe they would have kept stubbornly trying to force him as a starting pitcher. Once again, questions we'll never know the answer to. Buck would also blow it with the Diamondbacks as their first manager, lost in the playoffs in the first round uh, a couple of times, and they would win the World Series the year after he would get fired. The Texas Rangers, he made them somewhat competent and then got fired, and Ron Washington got them to the World Series a couple of times. So there's there's only so far Buck can get you. Now, I think he's going to get the job. 
and this will probably be his last stop because even though he's young for his age, he is 65 and who knows how much longer he's going to really want to do it. But this is his last chance, his best chance. He's got the richest owner in the sport. They've just signed one of the best pitchers of our generation and Max Scherzer. They've shown the willingness to spend money on quality depth pieces it, so far this season, this offseason in um, guys like uh, Mark Canna, uh, bringing in uh, 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 Starling Marte, uh, bringing in uh, another infielder. They're, they're likely going to have the DH available to them. Now we'll see if when the lockout ends, they put the pieces in place for the the bullpen he's going to need because he's pretty good at, at managing a bullpen. And let's pray Jacob DeGrom can stay healthy. Going to take one last break here. Come back, close things up with some thoughts on the Jets and the Giants. Continue keeping sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. It was such a such a sad thing to see a couple of days ago. The news come out about uh, Demarius Thomas um, uh, with his uh, passing. No, because you know, it's, it's kind of one of those moments where you just stop and you think about life. You think about you know, what really matters in this world because he had just recently retired. He was only 33 years of age and I'm 33 years of age. So it it was just kind of mind-blowing. Like I get the news on Thursday. I see it on Instagram. Like this can't be, this, is, this has got to be some kind of, you know, cruel joke that Demarius Thomas has passed away at only 33. And then I see it's from what they believe is some kind of, you know, heart condition. And that strikes close to home considering that was, you know, that was how my dad died. That was how other members of the Rosansky family have passed away over the years. And see it happen for someone 33 years young and just after their football career ended, I mean, just really sucked. I mean, we, when we think about Demarius, Tom, 
Damaris Thomas, we think about two things. A, him being a key contributor to uh, the Peyton Manning-led Broncos team winning Super Bowl 50. And then a couple of years prior to that, in what was one of the more miraculous playoff victories ever, when Tim Tebow uh, upset the Pittsburgh Steelers and Demarius Thomas had that long uh, touchdown run uh, in overtime to advance them to play the Patriots the following week. But, you know, the Patriots, I mean, the Broncos, excuse me, had great tribute yesterday. You saw players come into the stadium wearing 88, uh, their kicker, Brandon McManus, uh, wore cleats featuring his, his uh, face and smile on it. And hell, they even put 10 players on the field for the first offensive play of the game and took a delay of game penalty uh, uh, for uh, Demarius. And you know, wisely and very classily, the uh, Detroit Lions declined the penalty just... That's it's sad. I, I'm getting a little choked up thinking about it, especially being that the guy's my age and I remember what an awesome player he was to watch. But uh no, rest in peace to Maris Thomas, uh to you and uh your loved ones uh grieving through this time. Now let's get on to the angst of New York sports fans. Because you know, why can't we have nice things? Why do we have to watch these two crap shows known as the Jets and the Giants on a week-in, week-out basis? I mean, why? Someone tell me why. Give me a good reason why we have to watch this garbage that the Jets and the Giants provide us every single week. I mean, in the Giants' case, yesterday, for the second week in a row, because uh, Daniel Jones is dealing with a, a neck injury that we don't even know the severity of right now. We have to sit through Mike Lennon for a second straight week. Why? What do you, like I yelled about with uh, Joe Flacco starting a couple weeks ago in place of Mike White. What do you gain out of Mike Lennon playing? Play, we know what Mike Lennon is. Yelled about this last week. You know, he's just a guy with an extremely strong arm. He's never proven to be a, an NFL caliber starting quarterback. You had Jake Fromm there. You no, know, a guy who's not, who's still relatively young in this league. He's what second year player, has never gotten a crack in an NFL game. Put him out there. At least you learn something. I mean, they're going to try and feed you this BS that the Giants are still alive in playoff standings. I mean, people, they were four and eight going into yesterday's action. They they've been relatively unspectacular at best. I. I think I was still in my 20s the last time they scored 30 points. That's how dismal they've been on offense the last several years. Put the kid out there and let's see if he gives you a spark. Instead, you got to go with Glennon, who's turning the football over left and right and doesn't know how to stick out his shoulder when he's running into the end zone for a rushing touchdown in the fourth quarter. You know, as much as I despise the Cowboys... Hopefully they put us out of our misery when it comes to uh, the Giants uh, this coming week. Then all the story will become amongst Giant fans on whether Russell Wilson will accept to trade to them this offseason. Because you saw the reports come out this past week. He would consider waiving his no-trade clause to three teams, uh, the Broncos, Saints, and Giants. And I look at them and I say, 
why would he consider the Giants? All right, they have a head coach who does nothing but want to give cliches, a general manager that's going to be retiring after uh, this season, bad ownership, John Mara, a running back who's either always hurt or needs big gaping holes in the offensive line to um, break up field. And the only thing the Giants offensive line does is give big gaping holes for the defense to come in and clobber their quarterback. I mean, that's something Russ complained about a couple of years ago in Seattle, that they weren't giving him good protection. So why would he want to come to the Giants when they have maybe one offensive lineman in Andrew Thomas? That's it. One. And we know it's the blind side tackle, the most important tack, uh, position on the offensive line besides center. But they have one offensive lineman. I mean, you're, you're watching uh, yesterday, th- those guys are, are spinning around to, uh, like tops. You know, they, they're, you know the, the right side of the Giants' offensive line was a damn turnstile. And then um, you add on top of it what you – not only would Russ have to accept the trade, but think about what you'd have to give up. You'd have to give up. It would start with at least three first-round picks, probably a second-round pick, and a player. And you're giving up both of those first-round picks you have this year, yours and Chicago, to get them. It, Seattle's not accepting anything less than that, especially the fact that they traded their first-round pick of last year and this year to get Jamal Adams. They're going to want to recoup if they're trading uh, Russell Wilson. So, no, that's why, no, it's pie in the sky. It, it's something that Giant fans can wish for. But I think, you know, you're whistling in the dark on that one if you really think that you're going to be able to get Russell Wilson from Seattle. And then there's the Jets. Th- you know, who I'm saying to myself, I said it to my buddy Tom here as I came in. Thank God I did not go to this game yesterday. Thank God a member of my crew was um, not feeling well, and we didn't have to go to this game. Didn't um, all decided discretion was the better part of valor. Because, no, I would have been cursing up a storm, possibly had a beer at this game with how disgusted I was um, all the way around. I mean, the defense, even though they gave up 30 points, wasn't even the worst part about this team yesterday. And... It was the offense, and I know they were without Corey Davis, who's done for the season, without Elijah Moore, without uh, uh, Michael Carter Jr., but come on. I mean, Zach Wilson missed 10 targets in yesterday's game. He he had three incompletions to Ty Johnson in the first quarter that Ty Johnson should have caught every single one of them, or at least two of them. I mean, you look at... The way Wilson played yesterday, his best the best thing he did was run the football. And even then, he was a little too cautious. Whether it be on the 18-yard run, he clearly had another um, 10 to 15 yards ahead of him uh, to gain traction. And at the end of the game, I know it's uh, nitpicking here, but he doesn't even try to dive into the end zone. He just has this weak attempt when he could have scored uh, a rushing touchdown there. And you're watching this kid quickly regress in his rookie season. And, you know, 
once Lawrence was off the board, this was the guy I wanted them to draft. But how do you go into this without a veteran uh, quarterback there? How do you go into this without Joe Flacco there from the start so that if you're watching him during training camp, you say, oh, Zach's not ready to play. All right, play the veteran um, early. Because clearly Zach Wilson has not been ready to play this year. We know he's had a couple of games where he looked good, in particular against Tennessee. But outside of that, he's been a mess. And you worry, you know, the best thing that this kid has done is how he handles himself post-game with the media. He hasn't looked shy, hasn't looked timid, hasn't strayed away from any of their questions. But other than that, you know, physically on the field, he does not look ready to play. And that's on him. That's on this coaching staff. That's on, you know what? You know, his receivers who have dropped passes. And all the way around, it's been a mess how Zach Wilson's rookie season has been handled. Hell, you can blame Joe Douglas as well. He's not without blame in all of this. And, you know, the question that's run through my mind is what the hell is John Beck doing here? What What is his exact role on this team? What is his exact title on this coaching staff? That you paid for this guy to come in, join your coaching staff because he was – Zach's quarterback guru uh, uh, in college or you know, mentored in the offseason. What is he? Zach's, since he's been back, had one pedestrian game at best against the Texans, played decent for a half against the Eagles before struggling in the second half, and it sucked yesterday. What has John Beck exactly done for Zach Wilson in his time being here? And and then you got the fact that, you know, Zach Wilson keeps having these conversations with Hall of Fame quarterbacks uh, uh, looking for uh, help from them. Hey, Zach, you know, maybe lay off talking to the legends right now. You know, lay off talking to the, uh, those guys uh, looking for words of inspiration. I mean, this is... Now, these are the two things I worried about with the Jets this year because I, I asked for one thing. I knew they weren't going to win a lot of games. It was under no grand illusion that they were going to be some cute little playoff team. I asked for competence, and I, and I asked for signs of improvement as the year went on. But the two things I worried about with this team have reared its ugly head. A, a rookie quarterback who had one great year in college – after you know losing the job the prior year and doing so at a small school. And then B, the fact that you have a coaching staff that everybody on it is a rookie in the position that they're at. Head coach, offensive coordinator, a quarterback's coach, you know, offensive line coach, go all the way down the line. Every one of these guys is in their first year as of that position. And it's just been as much as a mess as you could expect it to be. That's why, you know, you know people sending me the, the tweets of them getting eliminated from the playoffs. What? Should you have even been surprised? Should you have even really thought that that was going to be an option? We knew that this team was going to be bad, but we didn't think it was going to be an embarrassment. And that's what they've been. Ne- not just offensively, but defensively as well. You know, yesterday being the sixth time this year they've given up 30 points. And yesterday it wasn't even the defense's fault. It was the fact that they've handled this quarterback poorly, just like they've done 
a lot of things in the history of their franchise. And not my friends was keeping sports with M3 for Monday, December 13th, 2021. Everyone have a great night. Have a great week. Stay safe. And I'll talk to you again same time next week. Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, and I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.